You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 31 of You Play A What. Happy New Year, and I hope 2021 will be a great year for all of you. I'm excited to share with all of you the second part of my interview with Daniel, where we spoke about the idea of sunk cost, his experience with entrepreneurship when he was in university, and self-publishing for musicians. I hope all of you enjoyed this as much as I do, and thank you so much once again for your support. It means the world to me. Enough from me now. Please enjoy part two of this interview with Daniel. you to buy expensive cars and get drunk uh, well we're in singapore which car is not expensive right so <laughs> right right yeah so heineken and volkswagen yeah mm. this was this was very much my key accounts um when i was working there and i'm super grateful for these accounts because these were struggling accounts and you know marketing is marketing is very fun during the good times and it's very real during the bad times mm. right during good times when sales are flying off the charts right you marketing just needs to just needs to really help push um sales and help make sure sales maintain at high yeah but when a company is struggling uh to to to, to see uh, results revenue, yeah yeah and see results then this is when all the eyes are turned into marketing to marketing and asking the questions marketing how are you supporting sales and it was a difficult time for um for both brands uh as it is, still is i think today okay now we go a bit into corporate talk mm, huh? mm. i hope you don't uh, don't mind yeah, yeah no go ahead yeah volkswagen singapore i mean the auto industry in general right is 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 a difficult uh playing ground in a, in a country like singapore small market expensive cars and good public transportation uh that means you know Literally, who needs to buy a car? Mm. At that point of time, when I was joining, when I joined, COE was at a at a high as well. Right. When COE is at a high, it reduces sales because people see, wow, I need to spend so much money mm. to buy a car uh, because I need to pay for COE. Mm. Don't want to buy a car. Already. But but that increase in that in that tax for for COE is 
that is the the outcome they wanted to achieve, right? For people to buy less cars, that's why it's come. That's why it's higher. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm. I mean, that's the that's the that's the outcome the government wants, mm. but that's not the outcome that a a, a retailer wants, yeah, right? For sure. And so, of course, the main revenue stream um from selling a car is much higher uh than any other revenue stream within uh the business itself. But because that revenue stream was um you know being strangled by all the circumstances around surrounding it, uh, it needed to explore new uh revenue streams, and this is when the comp- uh we needed to help uh, the client look focus from looking at marketing just new car sales to focusing on marketing for after sales. After sales are things like making you come to Volkswagen to do your car repairs, making you to come to Volkswagen to mm-hmm. buy your spare car parts or to buy a second hand car. Right. Uh, things like these. Um, and it was just a it was just a very exciting time for me mm. a nervous time for my client right uh to 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 find ideas and ways in which we can really help them uh, build their revenue stream mm. so i thought like my my role in marketing had real direct consequence on how they were going to be doing in in sales right and my and my my job also was as as the as the marketing side of the company was to really sh- show with concrete results and evidence, how we did, how we could do this, mm. um, and I think we, I think we were quite successful. The key thing for us, I think, the key uh, thing we did that showed the client that this was working was developing a new lead generation model that really saw them uh, being able to find a new pool of audience that they can reach out to who are already interested in their products, and then sales could take the lead and then sell to, to these already uh, converted audience. Mm. Uh, so that was uh, Volkswagen. Yeah. And for Heineken, it was a similar story. Heineken, the beer market in Singapore is seeing a decline. Uh, I think that trend is still existing today. Okay. Um, because of um, affluency in, in Singapore and greater globalization, mm. we start to drink more drinks outside the beer category. So what are we drinking more? Of course, we're drinking wine more. Mm. Uh, whiskey is making a return. But because of the influence of Japan and Korea, you know, people are drinking soju more. People are drinking sake more. Yeah. Uh, mm. And this, can, this eats into the beer market. So people would buy those drinks instead of beer. Mm. And what does Heineken sell? Heineken only sells one product, which is beer. Yeah, right? and it can be easily be categorized as boring in a way, isn't it? Beers and as compared to those other liqueurs or uh, alcoholic beverages that has like flavors in it and things. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so there was this, yeah, there was this, the audience is changing, right? The audience is changing and the company needs to do something to address this audience. And so one... Uh, I think an incredibly brave um, and forward-looking thing that they, they did was to introduce a new product into the Singapore market for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was called uh, Heineken 0.0, which is zero alcohol beer. Ah, okay. Yeah. And that question that begs the question to everyone, like, who would drink 0% alcohol beer? Why would you bring such a product? Would it even taste good? And so, you know, it the marketing firstly had to really gain awareness for the product and push it out into the market and then 
um, foresee that we would be taking a backlash for such a product and prepare contingency plans mm. to deal with all the um, to deal with all the backlash that we're gonna we we foresee. Mm. And um, yeah, I was really glad and proud to be part of this uh, launch of this new product. And it was such a great lesson. Uh, both portfolios, by the way, Volkswagen and Heineken is what would you do for your company to ensure that you know it keeps going and keeps growing. Yeah. And I was only dealing with the marketing side, but what I described to you is actually a larger business problem that uh, a, hi- a higher level overall business strategy problem mm. that these companies are facing. And this got me more interested from moving from marketing into overall business strategy, which was what eventually motivated me to start looking for my second job. And I wanted a, a job that would have to do with business strategy, corporate strategy, mm. And this is when I started looking, um, this is how I eventually ended up to where I am today um, in management consulting. I see. Okay. Yeah. And, and you'll be happy to hear that your the Heineken 0.0 has found its way into my fridge as well. I, really? Yeah. I, I didn't buy it, to be honest with you, but it's in my fridge and that counts for something, right? Uh, yeah. It yeah, doesn't matter. Someone... Yeah. doesn't matter how it gets into the fridge, but it's there. Yeah. Uh, my, my dad drinks it. Very good. Uh, if uh, yeah, shameless plug over here. If you are drinking Heineken zero point zero, it's less calories than orange juice. So if you feel like drinking orange juice, just drink a Heineken zero point zero, and uh, it's probably better for you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Health benefits, right? <laughs> Health benefits. Yeah. Every morning, um, I'm swapping it out from now on. Every morning. <laughs> yeah, we gotta pop open a Heineken zero point zero instead of yeah. juice. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So uh, you brought up some really interesting points about what you've just said. Um, let me just uh, dissect this uh, part by part. So let's talk about when you said you knew that you were not going to be doing this uh, music, that is, full time. Was this something that you said to yourself to not put so much pressure on you to pursue a career in music or do you actually really mean that I am not going to do it? When I gave myself that answer, it was, um, there. I must say that when I gave myself the answer, I didn't stand by that decision all the way, right? There's, there were some moments of hesitation. There are moments when I think, well, maybe is a, a career in music really possible or not? So it, it wasn't a full concrete answer. Mm. It was, although it was very much uh, the answer I I was standing by and stood by in the end. Mm. There were several factors which which led me to make this decision. One key thing was that I I could not see myself in this practice um, for the long term. Mm. So if we if we do an exercise and we place ourselves um, 50 years from now, oh, sorry, not 50 years from now. Uh, let's make it uh, even shorter. Let's say uh, 30 years from now. Yeah. So you and I, you and I are both in our uh, late uh, 20s. And so 30 years from now is double our age, mm. right? Yeah. And the question I asked myself was, in 30 years from now, am I still going to be doing this uh, how would how would my how would my life look right mm. and, um if i was doing music how would it look differently from what i am doing today 
um, or, or what I think my career in music is going to start like if I were to start um, once I once I graduated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the answer I got myself um, was that it wouldn't look that much different. Mm. And this concerned me a lot. Um, and I, and that's when I, I, I really felt like I, I don't think I can be doing this um, full-time for the rest of my life. Right. Uh, I, it, 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 it needed to evolve and it needed to change some way. And I didn't have a solution to it. Besides not being able to find a solution to it, I also couldn't see how I would find a solution to find a solution. Mm. And uh, yeah, this really, uh, um, this really uh, tipped me over and, and convinced me that um, yeah, a full-time career in music isn't um, what I would be able to pursue in, in, the, in the long run. Right. That, that amounts to uh, several factors, but I think um, this is, what I just mentioned is something that uh, many people can relate to. Mm, definitely. And I think, you know, with musicians, there are, there are of course, I think uh, this is a generalization, I think, but uh, for the example that you gave about yourself, there's a there's a group of people that that's like that that sees it clearly for themselves. They are uh, not afraid to make the difficult decision to uh, pivot away to do something else. There are another group of musicians who are very very dedicated and so passionate about what they do that they don't see themselves doing anything else other than working in the music industry. And now I I want to bring up this concept of what I recently came across called sunk cost. So like, you know, sinking, sunk cost means things that we are not going to get back. So our time that we spend in our education is a time that we are not going to get back. It has helped us in in many, many ways, I think. But because it's time that we are not going to get back, do you think that it should affect the decisions that we make for the future? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic uh, question. The, at the core of this question is, if I have been studying music for solidly for 15 years, should I give it up now? Um, was my last 15 years an absolute waste of time? Mm. And um, of course the answer is no. Um, and to think that what you learned in the last 15 years cannot be directly applied to your life in the next 50 years, then um, I think that's a not not a healthy way of thinking about your relationship with music in the first place, if you really see music as as, as that. Yeah. I mean, just take um, your school education, for goodness sake, right? You spend 12 <laughs> years in formal education, and 10, 12 years, 13 years in formal education in, in Singapore school, for example. Yes. It wasn't definitely wasn't wasted time, right? Mm. That's, I mean, uh, it, the, a very simple exercise to do is um, just ask yourself if you're a newbie going into to music education, and and the teacher asks you, what do you want to take away after four years from music college, right? And you, your first answer is, I want to get better at my instrument. Yeah, okay, fei hua, right? Yeah. Uh, that's a given, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's a given, yeah. right? No one, uh, no one goes to study more to stay the same, Yeah. right? But then, the, if, if I push you, right? Okay, let's do this exercise now uh, between you and me. Ken, Vincent? Sure, let's do this. <laughs> okay, let's do this. So, yeah, what, what would you like to, 
what would you like to take away um, after four years in RNCM? If you ask me this question now, my reply would be I would like to have a clearer picture of how I can do my work after I graduate. Mm-hmm. And how can how I can you know how my art can uh make a difference and you know serve other people and what is it that I am going to do? Mm. Yeah, a lot about clarity for me. Yeah. So that that's that's a great answer that describes the outcome uh that you want. Mm. Uh of course this outcome that you describe now is not an outcome that you could have foreseen while you were a student. Mm. So let me push you in answering some more. Mm-hmm. So with now with this understanding of what outcome that you want, right? Um, what are the skills you think um, you you would have required you you would want to take away from four years of music education? I think creative thinking, I think critical thinking, being able to come up with original ideas and concepts and execute it. Mm, okay. So these answers that you just gave me, right? Um critical thinking, creative thinking, these are the same answers that if I asked you when you were a student in RNCM, right, if I was a news reporter coming to you and asked you, what is the benefit of a music education? These are the same answers that you would you would have given. Mm. Yeah, you know, in music college, we develop creativity, uh, we develop a creative thing, uh, critical thinking, we develop problem-solving skills, we develop communication skills. Mm. And if we if we knew that already, right? If someone asked us that question, then then why not um, realize and strongly recognize that these are the skills that we have developed, and these are the skills that is required for many, many, many things in when you when you graduate in in, in the corporate world, for example, mm. and, and take those skills with us. There's so many things out there basically that 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 require these skills, and yeah, that music education that has really f- um trained us to be finessed in these skills um, really opens doors to, to, to many uh, different career opportunities that we need there. Mm. Why I think people struggle with the idea that, oh man, I graduated with a music degree, what can I do in life other than music? Is, is, is this failure to recognize this, these incredibly strong soft skills that we developed during our time in college? And I really do believe that music college pushed us all to develop these um, skills in a mm. much deeper way. If you think about what we learn, right, in music college, a lot of things that we learn, especially for composers, is things that don't exist in a textbook. Um, there's yeah. really, really so much that um, is knowledge handed down from a mentor to a mentee. Mm. Um, on how to do your job better. Yes, and, and this is no closer to this is yeah. This is probably the closest thing to how real world jobs are like as well, right? You don't go into the banking industry having learned how to do your banking job mm. from university. Yeah, the the skills you're gonna develop in the banking industry, are what your manager, what your peers teach you, mm. and if you and being able to recognize these learning opportunities are these moments where you're learning and applying new skills that you have picked up. Yeah, it's so it's so crucial and really enables us to do to do so many things. Mm, for sure. And I, I agree with you that in music there are very few 
textbooks for us to read. There are, uh, I mean, we have um, a lot of academic essays, but these essays are also written by people who are well informed, right? They are not, say, like, this is a manual for you. Go and read this manual and you'll become an expert in romantic music. Right, you yeah, know, absolutely. yeah, you know it by theory, but as a practitioner, that doesn't it, it doesn't say anything, doesn't prove anything, and with with this ability to to work in such a way whereby we are not relying on manuals or textbooks to give us the answer, you know, that we don't enter a job and get a PDF that explains what you're gonna do for your job and then now go execute it. It's not as simple as that, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so, um, the the in, the the thing we must recognize is that if you're a musician, you already have started out your your professional development as a as a career person from a very very early age. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're you're in the scene right now, um, and you're and you're listening to this, and you are someone who is maybe say seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, um and doing lots of gigs out there already, you already um, on your on your path of career development, professional development. And every day when you go into a rehearsal for a gig, you are honing those uh, professional development skills that put you in good state to do any a professional job in the future. That's n- and, and it doesn't have to be music. Mm. Right. Yeah. Now, the, the next thing I want to ask you is um, obviously when now if we are talking about musicians who are looking to make a career switch, right? Or have an alternative mm. uh, or have an alternate career in a different field. Of course, we understand the importance of building up resume and CVs and, and things like that. Uh, I know that for yourself, you are one that does many different things. Some related to music, some not related to music. One of the things I remember very clearly is that you started this RNCM photography club. You took photos and then you made products that you were selling uh, at yeah. the entrance of concert hall, of the concert hall in RNCM, I believe. You made, do you make like calendars and things like that? Mm, mm, yeah. That's right. So do you think that if there's a student now that is studying in a conservatory, that they should look out for opportunities like that to build up this sort of little initiatives that they have been involved in. Um, yeah, definitely. College, right? Your your four years in university or more, uh, is is a safe space to really experiment with ideas, and so any opportunity to pursue um, an idea. Um, should be taken up and whether it succeeds or it fails I I think when you're a student that should be the secondary priority mm. it's about going um, by the way the RNCM Photography Club um, it, it ended up uh, failing because um, after I left it closed uh, unfortunately um, but there were so many good things to take away from that um, from that um, experience mm. I mean you can also look at um. You can also look at the the startups of the world, right? The successful startups of the world. How many broken? Uh, how many failed startups that the founder went through before eventually finding his unicorn? Yeah. Um, and it's all about this uh uh developing this experience, and then also um, 
um, pursuing ideas that 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 challenge you. So okay, with regards to the RNCM Photography Club, right? Uh, I am not a photographer. And when I say I'm not a photographer, is uh, I don't even own a digital camera. I'm not a photographer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. You you yeah. ask me to choose a choose a photo, and I will probably pick the first one that I see. Right. Right. Um. But the idea of the photography club was to, firstly, offer a service, a unique service to musician students, you know, um, for something that there was a real need for. So we talk about uh, uh, a demand and supply here. Mm. What's the demand? The demand is that student musicians back in RNCM needed uh, visual media, which is photographs or videos, mm. uh, to put onto these platforms that they use for self-promotion. Yeah. What are these platforms? Facebook, uh, website, uh, yeah. all these uh, digital platforms. Mm. And you can't just put recordings of yourself anymore you can't just put text anymore you must put photos because that's that's how we interact with digital the digital media today yeah uh, so that's the demand what was the supply the supply was that there were no photography services around that charged at a cheap rate a student rate well, that's one and two that understood um, how to capture musicians in their in their key moment Mm. Right, so the difference between a regular photographer and a musician photographer is that one, the musician photographer could get access to musician venue, musical venues. If you're a student at RNCM, you get access to our concert hall. You can take photos in our concert hall. If yeah. you're someone from outside the school, no way the the uh the security guard is gonna let you in, right? Yeah. Like, um, unless you really request a special permission. Yes. And also, but within, but beyond that, right? It's also that understanding in that musical moment. Um, when is a, a precious moment to capture, mm. right? That moment, that expression on a musician's face right before he goes on stage or right before he starts the piece or at the climax of the piece or when he shows appreciation at the end of the piece. These are moments that exist for a split second yeah. and it cannot be anticipated by someone who has not had musical training. Mm. Um, and therefore, I thought that was an opportunity uh that existed to offer something uh, that had a clear demand, which was lacking a supply. Right. And then the idea was from there to develop an ecosystem. So the, um, with each, um, all the photographers were paid. Whenever you took up a, a photography gig, mm. whether I was getting paid or not, uh, sorry, whether there was, a, there was a contract at the end of it or not, um, the photographers would get paid mm. um, one one way or another, mm. but with each payment that they get, the the society the 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 photography's uh, club society gets a cut of it. We took a ten percent cut, and at the end of the year, all the cuts that I took right would eventually go on to be donated to uh, this hospital music service. I think it was called. Um, music health live or something like that mm-hmm. but basically basically our student union had this uh, arrangement with uh, the local hospital where musicians would come down and play for the play for the, the sick sick there yeah it was also actually a platform and an opportunity for a lot of the younger students to test out their new ensemble that they just set up yeah for sure the money goes to this hospital, 
they use that money to pay the musicians. But because the musicians are setting up their ensemble and, you know, want to use that as a platform to really start promoting themselves, they start looking for photography services. And where do they start looking for photography services? At my photography service. Mm. And, um, and the, it was, the idea was to create this cycle of uh, perpetual perpetual giving and uh, and a and a and a ecosystem that would that would support itself yeah what i want to say is that on the surface we think that oh daniel started a photography society or photography club big deal right get a couple of students that uh are interested in photography uh, call them down, tell them that they're going to be paid a certain amount when they do certain gigs and stuff like that. Sure, I mean, that's all good. But when when you, when I start to hear all this from you, you start to understand that there's, a, there's such a high level of thoughtfulness in the approach of starting something like that. And that when we mention things like, oh, we're going to start something, we're going to do something, we have to do it properly with good thought, with a, a long-term view good angle and create, you know, good outcomes for different organizations, right? It's not just about, oh, I want to make uh, a buck or two or I want to make some money. So I'm just going to start this thing. And then if it does make money, I'm going to shut it down. If it does, then we're going to keep it going. Yeah. Whether whether it's successful or not is, is, is to me sometimes secondary. It's sometimes really the purpose and the, the purposefulness of it, right? Mm. What... What were the goals of um, setting up the photography club? It was the goals was not to make money. Uh, I mean, th- there was a there was a certain goal involved to for the photographer to find a way to make cash. Yeah, there was a certain goal involved for um, students who receive photography services. Mm. But the primary goal was for me individually was to explore an entrepreneurial idea, which I, which I believe had room for success mm. and um, would purposefully fill my time with um, teaching me a few lessons on entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I think, of course, uh, we need, with all ventures like that, we need money, but we need money to, to sustain the operations. We don't need like to make a living out of this thing, right? So I think that that's the difference. Of course, we have to look at uh, the, the money as well. But yeah, uh, very very good points that whether you meet the intended outcome that you set out to uh, that you set out with this initiative in the first yeah. place rather than you know whether it's successful or whether like for now the the ph- photography society is not in existence anymore uh, yeah I to be honest I believe that if you have started this and if you have managed to be there and keep it going for I say two to three years, then definitely there will be people who will jump on the opportunity to continue uh, this this project. But maybe one year was not enough for people to see it. Yeah, definitely. And and so back to your initial question about developing a CV um, and developing a, a resume, uh, and you know, and, and something like this may or may not have made it into my CV at the end of the day, mm. but it just really develops you as 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 a person and let's say you go for an interview right and and someone asks you you know tell, tell me more about yourself or tell me about some of the experiences you had whether or not this makes it into your resume 
is 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 you know not irrelevant not, not in all a way. that yeah. irrelevant in a way because uh, mm. you're gonna be able to share this experience with them, and I, I genuinely think that most people find it uh um, fascinating when and when people go on and start and explore ideas that um that are at the back of their head. And then, of course, if you don't even get the opportunity to mention this experience, the level of conversation and the and and um, the ideas that you have already become part of you and makes you a much more interesting three-dimensional character. Mm. Uh, yeah, th- rather than what is just simply on your CV or resume. Cool. Great advice. I, I want to ask you, okay, so if we now put you back into the position as a full-time musician, as a composer, uh, right now, uh, I think we have this conversation before, but right now, in this, uh, in our world, the, the gatekeepers are no longer there, or, you know, there are much fewer gatekeepers. So when we talk about music, for example, we can now self-publish, right? We don't need to have our music published by a publisher, we can sell our music uh, ourselves online. We can put up videos on YouTube and do our work there. We can create a podcast and speak to people and nobody's going to control what we speak and nobody's going to censor us and things like that. Uh, so what do you think are the pros and cons of self-publishing? And do you think that it is important for new generation musicians to get into this game. Mm. Okay, let's speak from the perspective of a musician mm. instead of a composer. Self-publishing is important in the way that you're as good as what your work says you are, right? Once upon a time, maybe saying that you graduated from RNCM and then passing an audition, a live audition that you get invited to mm. was enough. Um, now people want to first hear your portfolio before even inviting you to something and then auditioning you uh, auditioning you to determine whether you're good enough. Mm. Uh, and I'm, I don't mean like auditioning you in an orchestral job or anything, but auditioning you for even higher, right? Like say I want to contract um, a string quartet for a wedding, for example, right? Yeah. No way I'm asking you for your CV of your past gigs. I'm just mm. going to say, show me your portfolio. Yeah, do you have some recordings and some of the shows some that recording. you've done? Yeah. So it's... In, in that way, uh, self-publishing uh, is is important. I think it has just naturally become part of the kind of work that uh, every musician needs to do in order to be on top of the game. Mm. What do I think about self-publishing? Um, the I, I, I heard a very interesting statistic um, on the BBC World Station the other day. Mm. And, and that is, in 2018, there were 4 million new tracks published on Spotify. Yeah. 4 million, you know. The, the, if you're, let's say you, you, you published uh, 4 tracks, okay, you're, you're very productive and you published 4 tracks on Spotify, that's 1 in a million, right? Mm. That the, the, the ratio now becomes, people, people have a 1 in a million chance of listening to one of your, your tracks. Yeah. And, and that statistic is daunting. For sure. Uh, Definitely. And in fact, that as we are speaking now, more music is being uploaded to Spotify, I believe. More, yeah, more videos are being uploaded onto YouTube, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's definitely grown since 2018. And so, 
I think the unfortunate story is that it's self-publishing uh, has liberated liberated the musician in in the idea that they don't need to rely on a publishing house anymore or recording studio uh, a, a label a, a recording label yeah. anymore. Mm. But I think it has actually made uh, it overall more difficult mm. and uh, more challenging and actually more expensive to be a to be a musician because now you need to invest capital into making recordings and making videos. Mm. Uh, it's a it's a it's a sobering idea. Yeah. Uh, but it's a disruption that that the music industry is facing is 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 being faced with and needs to find find ways to adapt to this change. Yeah, and I think there's uh, often this um. We romanticize over this idea that we can now self-publish. So we can just do what we want and then we're going to put our work out there. And eventually, sometimes when you put your, put your work out there, then you realize that nobody is listening to it and nobody is looking at it. And it kind of breaks the your self-esteem a little bit in terms of like, oh, you thought that you at least get, you know, let's say 500 listens or 500 views, but you're not getting anywhere near that. And you start to think that, oh, is that my work? Is my work bad? Is my work not good enough? And I, I must say to be honestly, sometimes it might be the case, but most of the time it's because like you said, 4 million, right? How can people come across your, your song or your product? It's extremely difficult. And, as much as we can now self-publish, this medium that we are uploading our um, uh, music and our, our what I call digital assets are uh, on, they are still like the traditional gatekeepers in which they are picking which tracks to promote on the homepage. Definitely. Right? And, and, and if you made it to the homepage, are you going to get more listens? I think so, right? Because you are you are seen, you are there. But a lot of times we don't realize is chances are of uh, as especially classical musicians making it to the front page of say like a Spotify is extremely challenging, and I would say mm. almost impossible. So uh, unless of course you you have uh, for for me when my homepage is designed because I listen to more classical music then of course it appears but if it's off the recommendation of like top 100 or like what's new you know hardly it'll come up right it'll be recommended based on what I've listened to so do, do you think that it's about having a product now and then engaging with the necessary target audience for them to search for something that's specific that is you now is now is this the difficult part as compared to self-publishing because not everybody can self-publish right but not a lot of people can create this kind of connection so for example if people are not going to come across my podcast if they just type music podcast you know there are so many great music podcasts out there on spotify or on other platforms but if people if i promote it you have to type in and search you play a what and then okay maybe then there's a chance now for you to come across the podcast yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a tough question with complicated and a variety of answers. Mm. But I think at its core, and this is something you talk about in your seventy dollar four dollar haircut uh, uh, podcast. Yeah, it's 
it's really about finding finding value uh, to people and defining your value, right? It really needs to be well well defined. So let's take my uh, photography club for for example, right? The value was in that it was a market that had been untapped with a very high demand to capture um, very specific moments a musician really wants to wants to be captured, right? Your your the musician cannot replay their recital ten times over, right? They're only mm-hmm. gonna play it once, and you want to get it right that one time, and that's the value that my uh, photography club offered, right? Mm. That we'll capture that moment. Yeah. That, um, then, then. Mm, by people who understand and, uh, as well that that's even yeah. more important yeah yeah mm. and 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 so finding that value that people can really identify with so when i when i talk about value right it's is we're still not not talking about how do you achieve scale and scale means like how do i move from uh, fifty listeners to one hundred listeners to one thousand listeners. The the first I think the first point um at its core is um defining uh, how to bring value to your to your clientele to your target audience. Mm. It's a very difficult thing to talk about. I think um I think we've discussed your podcast in particular uh before, and I told you about about the great value that you are bringing currently bringing to young people in Singapore who are. You know, consider considering a future in music, or how or how their musical development for looking for stories on how their personal music development may eventually pan, pan out, mm. and and that's that's a, a unique value proposition uh, to them. And so once the value is fully appreciated and fully uh, uh, absorbed, then the next question comes to scale, and scale is when you. You achieve financial feasibility of things mm, um, for sure definitely yeah yeah but but that's um, that could be a that, that's a journey isn't it that's that's a journey that's a long yeah. way long way to a go long journey. yeah yeah it doesn't happen overnight mm. i don't think i i really uh answered your question or have a good answer to your question but i understand the the struggles and the pains and but um yeah it is just unfortunate that i think the times exist in such a way that there's so much noise and so much things that are out there that it that 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 things that that it is it is difficult and Mm. therefore we really need to consider value that we that we bring yeah definitely value and and as well thoughtfulness on uh with the work that we do isn't it because yeah yeah, now because I, i think now that it's easy to to just put stuff up online that doesn't mean that you should just do it mindlessly because this kind of work takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of like emotional investment as well and if certain things don't pick up and it's not uh, able to to grow then um, sometimes people take it really personally that Mm. yeah it's a reflection of like uh, that they are not good enough or people don't like them and, and things like that. But it's got nothing to to do with that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But, it. I don't know. Um. Sometimes, yes, I would say, and maybe most of the times it's true, that the reflection of the statistics is not a true reflection of how good you are. Mm. Uh, it is also maybe a sobering thought to consider that whether if you want to be good enough, 
the statistics must show that you're good enough. Yeah, definitely. And therefore, and therefore, if you are never able to truly hit the statistic that you strive, that, that, that you have set for yourself, uh, whether it's fair to call yourself not good enough. Mm. Maybe, this, uh, maybe this comes to a discussion on um, when to decide a project is a failure and then be willing to close that chapter on that project uh, and move on from it. Mm. Um, and it's, I think it's something that is sometimes very difficult to, to accept, right? I think especially um, for musicians, um, especially musicians um, who from a young age to say uh, to music school, you've been on a straight line trajectory yeah. of finding gig after gig, having your popularity and skill grow in a very linear upward fashion mm. without much hurdles. Yeah. Um, but then after graduating, the reality of life is it's isn't yeah life is in no way a straight line trajectory mm. and. Um, Seeing those, um, fighting against those hurdles, possibly, possibly failing, um, comes times in when you need to make decisions on, yeah, whether to pursue further or or to diversify. Yeah, and pivot. Exactly. Pivot. I think I like the word pivot a lot because pivot suggests an opportunity to take what you previously did mm. and find more opportunities, better opportunities uh, from there. Yeah. The, the concept of defining whether a project is successful or not or failure, it's, it's very tricky because what we do involves so much um, emotional labor, you know? Yeah, yeah it, it's the, the emotions that you put inside that makes it difficult for you to, to accept sometimes that this thing is not working out and that we've got to put a plug now before, you know, we drain all our money away or we waste even more time and invest even more energy into this thing that is obviously um, at its peak. It's not going to grow anymore. It's not going to develop anymore and it's got it's at a dead end. And then I think when, when we see that a particular project is at its dead end, that you've given, you've tried it and it's not working and people are not that excited about it and the idea is not spreading, that's where perhaps we need to to relook at the, the the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we can look at this from a project scale, but we can also sometimes look at this from a career development scale. Mm. And in particular, um, our music education sometimes, right? Um, I mean, <laughs> I, I, this podcast is, 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 is supposed to be very positive and uplifting, but I'm bringing in a very <laughs> sobering thought. No, no, it's, it's, it's right fine. Now. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, when is it uh, to f uh, fairly call it quits on pursuing a professional career in, in music? Mm. Um, I don't think the music industry is in more demand of more musicians right now. I don't think it's in... I, I don't think there's a, there's a lack of music teachers. I don't think there's a lack of performing musicians. And so... You know, like like what we just said. When do we call it quits? Um, on 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 this project and on this road to become a a professional musician and and not fulfilling that preconceived idea that our destinies are to become professional mm. performing musicians. Yeah. Um, 
and and realizing that there's so much more to what we are able to do as individuals who are privileged in growing up and developing a, a real high level uh, education in, in music and, and, and basically seeing what else we can do. Um, it comes back to what we were previously discussing about the, as musicians, so we have so much opportunity to offer so much uh, in the world mm. beyond the realm of doing music. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the the biggest problem is that a lot of musicians still have this idea of they need to be picked. I think mm. that that is one of the most crippling thing that you can do to a musician is that uh, you're preparing for, let's say, to get a job. You're getting... You're, you're basically waiting to be picked. If you are waiting for your phone to ring for a gig, you are waiting to be picked. If you are waiting for the parents of a pro- prospective students to ring, you are waiting to be picked. So time and time again, it's all this, um, it, it, it gets very depressing because all of a sudden you are just living lives on other people's terms, right? Yeah. And that if they stop hiring you or if they choose to go with somebody else, that's it, you get. Then what, what does it do to you as a, as a person with your, um, um, your, your psyche and stuff like that? You probably get angry, you get pissed off, with you know everything that oh why are they going with this person what have I done wrong and and all that kind of stuff but you know that there's more to to music there's more to life than just waiting to be picked you know that but it is difficult to ask ourselves this question that what is the difference that you can make as an artist or as a musician what is the what are the things that you're passionate about that you can do with your music that you can share with other people and yeah, and that by doing that, then you make yourself become uh, quite vulnerable to criticisms, to response, uh, to hate, yeah. or to you know positive stuff as, uh, as well, of course. But it's that is the difficult work, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think sometimes our expectation is that we would know the answer straight away, and our next decision would be the right decision. Mm. And it's 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 um it's it's never the case. It's um we are always on a continuous journey of searching and exploring, um not just for musicians and but also for anyone out there in the world. I don't think that there are incredibly small number of people you meet out there who have only had one job in their entire life, especially in our generation, mm. right? So people who are on a path of discovering career of of exploring their career, right? If you shouldn't be going into your 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 next career thinking that this is going to be your one company, the one boss you're going to be working yeah, for. Yeah, or your pot of gold or, or whatever yeah, sort yeah. of thing, right? Exactly. It's a continuous path mm. of um, discovery. Mm. And so even though I left my previous job, for example, right, it doesn't mean that my one and a half years spent in that job was an absolute waste of time mm. or it was a wasted opportunity to be spending more time in in the particular industry I am in right now. And same story applies for where I am right now. Um, it doesn't mean if I leave this industry one day, it doesn't mean that the skills that I've developed, the relationships I've developed, um, are, are, were, have been a waste of time. Mm, and I think we should think, yeah, we should think about that um, for music as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that that's a, that's a really fantastic point. And I think we've been 
uh, letting this interview go on for quite a while now and I will not take any more of your time so uh, yeah this is this is also a perfect time for us to wrap up this interview so uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on to the show Daniel it's been my pleasure um, and thank you for indulging me <laughs> I think some of my thoughts did just start going off on the course of their own uh, yeah um, but absolutely fine but it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking with you and discussing this with you um, again and, and now on your podcast mm. Yeah, and it's always it's always great to speak to you. And like I said, you know, most of my guests they are they're, they're so thoughtful, so I can throw them whatever questions, and they will have some sort of answer to it. And yeah, it's it's great. And I hope you have a fantastic twenty twenty one. I hope your your work will just start to grow, and twenty twenty one will be a much better year for you. Although twenty twenty sounds like it's not too bad. Yes, well, I mean, uh, we must always look for the positives. Mm. Uh, we're always looking for the silver linings. Yeah. And uh, I wish you all the same as well, Vincent. I, I'm a big fan of your podcast, like I've said. And, you know, come 2021, I look forward to seeing how it grows and really um, watching how the content that you create and develop just mm. uh, uh, takes form. Yeah. And uh, reaches, reaches new heights. And of course you know, beyond the podcast um, in every bit of success that in, in everything you do. Thank you. Thank you. Such generous and kind words. So uh, thanks again, Daniel. Okay, we're going to wrap this up now. So for all of you listening, thank you for staying with us throughout this episode. And most importantly, thank you for your attention. It is very much appreciated and a very happy new year to all of you. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play A What. Until next time.